Coast is the best coast. <laughs> uh, so with us today, we've got Bradley Hodges, Hello. John Frazier, the owner of the Cavaliers, and Brian Zinn, the only successful We're going to start with a, a, a little bit about, I, I know all of you have uh, taken a tour of the park, gotten a little bit of its history. John, I kind of wanted to know from you, what was your history of the hunt in this park? How did you find out about it? And yeah. you, you seem to kind of really like it. What draws you to the hunt? Well, um, I found out about the hunt in 2004, 2005, when two ladies came through the gift shop and uh, had, had flown down from Ohio and had, had, read, the, had read about it and, uh, and shared it with one of uh, our employees. Um, Th those two ladies are... Yep. Where are they? Kim and Nadine. Kim and Nadine. Right there. Back over here. Well, we just flew down from Ohio. So they got me all excited about it. And, um, you know, we walked around. We talked a lot about man-made structures. And, you know, and again, the whole idea about penetrating the ground, since it had only been done by archaeologists, kind of got to me. So, um, you know, after that initial, after the initial, well, gosh, we didn't find anything. Um, I got a copy of the book here and, um, you know, one of the originals. And... It just became obsessed with it. Uh, everything from mirrors to magnifying glasses. Uh, at lunch, you know, an hour a day, I'd go with it, and you know, uh, for years and years, so did not uh, did not attempt to to find anything uh, by putting anything in the ground, but rather chose to to try to figure out where it was by using the illustrations and the verses. And it uh, it's maddening. And sometimes I had to put it down, just let it go for a while. I have three kids, I have a wife, I have other applications, I have a job here, and uh, other responsibilities. So uh, it will drive you crazy, and you have to kind of take a step back and clear your head, and then go back, which leads you to this, and this, and eBay. Gosh, eBay is just a, it's a treasure trove of information. That's where I am right now. It's still, still looking, but uh, those ladies got me into it, and I, I curse them every, I'm just kidding. I, it's, a, it's a lot of good, I appreciate it. It's led to a lot of great friendships. So you're, you're the Fountain of Youth is one of the only parks that's open-ish to hunters. You're fairly welcoming to people to bring yeah. in their solutions, to even let them dig in your park. What's the, the park's philosophy behind that? Why? why? Ooh, well, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> the, um, the park is owned by me, my two sisters, and my brother. Um, we, we rule things by d decree and board, in board meetings. Um, I was intrigued with it, and the folks that, that I was meeting that, was doing thing, that were doing things the right way, writing the letters, making the phone calls, um, initially uh, it worked out really, really well. It was very manageable because from 2004, when uh, Kim and Nadine came by, until 2010, I think I had three people in six years contact me about this. So, you know, it was pretty easy, and most folks were pretty nice about the whole thing, and 
then around 2010 or 11, uh, folks started uh, coming, I would guess, I can just say when the park was closed, I don't really know how they got in, fence, water, whatever, but they were here illegally and uh, we would come in and find broken sprinkler pipes and uh, all kinds of, uh, of damage. And um, that's when things started to get a little bit more difficult. And then uh, Byron, not Byron Price, um, Josh Gates, when we did the first, the first Expedition Unknown, it was, it, it really got crazy. And what we tried to do is, um, we're at the point now where we ask folks to submit in writing. If you submit in writing, they, they go on a, on a stack, essentially. We have probably about 10 right now that are unread. We have five or six in, in the state of, yes, we're, we're going to allow it. Um, and then we have others that, and it's really strange because if, if, if folks make mistakes about things that, are, that uh, they're basing their theories on, uh, landmarks that weren't here back then, I'll actually call them on the telephone and, uh, and, and try to very quickly explain what's wrong with the theory that they have, and that's a very easy thing to do. But um, as long as, as we can kind of control that to where the, the digs are, and the archaeologist, Dr. Deegan, or uh, the archaeologist of the city of St. Augustine says that this area is cleared for that sort of thing, then I'm more than happy to help uh, anyone in any way realize their dreams. We're, I think everybody here is hunting for some kind of treasure, doesn't have to be this in the ground or gold or silver. It could be a great family life. It could be something intangible. But I, I think everybody here has had the fever of, for something at some point in time. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, but I know that everybody's wanted something. And if I can facilitate someone else's dream for however long it is, then uh, I've always looked at it as, as you know, as a good thing. As a good thing. And that's why that's why I continue to do this. And sometimes it gets a little maddening, but. But I still do it, you know, I still do as, as much as I can. And there are certain times of the year it's better than others. You know, the fall is great, spring and the summer, bad. Because we have so many people that are here, and you definitely don't want to have, be digging and have a train go by and go, hey, what are you, what are you digging for? Yeah. What are you digging for? And then you have to explain it, and you oh, it's treasure. Oh, let me show you. It's really great. It's these things, you know. And then, the, then every no. red train tour that no. comes by, yeah. Please don't there's do a treasure buried there. <laughs> it's, oh, God. Here it comes, but. Anyway, hope that answers it. It does. It does. Um, so let's see. Uh, you talked about the damages, and we've seen a lot of damages to a lot of different parks. Yep. What's some of the more troubling things that, that you've seen in this park? Well, um, overwhelmingly, the number one is sprinkler pipes. And, and it's why I told you I was going to have a sprinkler pipe here, because we, we had one that had three holes, three separate holes in the same pipe, and they were perfect. I don't know if they were using drill or what, but and uh, my manager got, uh, well, he was kind of upset about it, and he brought it to me and uh, of the idea that we should probably shut this down. And I said, no, these are the bad guys that are doing it. But um, sprinkler pipes, number one. Number two is the gate, the uh, iron gates are damaged. I can't imagine someone wanting to climb the iron gate instead of a, instead of a fence or, or coming in here by, by this because you know, the iron gate's got the spikes on it, and you know, if you slip, it's going to really hurt. But the wall is sharp with the oyster shells, so you know, I, I guess you gotta kind of weigh the risks on that. But, uh, but th that's it, um, trash that's left behind. People have left me little, little bits and pieces of things because the, uh, a popular place to jump the fence and dig is actually along the fence. Because if you stay low, no one's gonna see you. And so they come in, they check out all the, the magnolias, because they're big trees, and the oaks that are on the inside. The, around the restroom is probably the number one place that gets, uh, gets looked at and unfortunately vandalized and trashed and there's a, there's a little alcove in, uh, in one of the trees and, and I had this one thought about 10 years ago I said you know if they'd have buried the the, the cask in, uh, in an oak tree or a, or a um, 
magnolia in the ground, there's a chance it could have scarred it. And so, you know, years later, the baby would be, a, it would have grown around it. And so I found it and I found this one tree and I said, man, this is it. This has got to be it. And so I look in there and I start cleaning it out and somebody had put a beer bottle right in the tree and was sitting right in the, in the, in the elbow of the tree. And I look at this and I went, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, this was, this was their way of saying, hey, it's here. So anyway, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Um, so anyway, all right. So we, we talked about that. Does I guess we should transition to some questions because there are a lot more people here than I thought were going to be here, and I'm assuming you guys are going to have a lot of questions. Do you have any questions for Brian or for for uh, John? Anybody? Right here. I have a question. Was the guest book um, was it available in the 80, 81? It, it, that the, um, the gentleman's asking is, was the guest book available in 1980-81? And the answer to that is, probably not. And the reason, as I mentioned before, and so far as the park structure was concerned, is that the park was being run by banks, accountants, and other uh, non-business uh, folks. And um, that probably would have been one of the things that would have gone by the wayside. Now, my father reinstituted it sometime in the mid-80s. But um, I, I really, I gotta be honest with you, I don't think that, that, it's, that, that it was here at all. I really, really don't. Virtually all archival, anything that was archival, virtually stopped in 1965 when the banks took over. And we just didn't, it, and it was the Southeast Bank. Uh, but um, <laughs> just wanna let you know, but they went bankrupt. So I guess they didn't run themselves very well either. So uh, anyway, anyway, there, uh, but, um, no, I, mean, I can't believe I lost my train of thought on that one. But uh, so it wasn't here. It, was, it wasn't here. But, so much like. but even if it was, there's just no way that Byron Price would have written his name in the guest book. Because <laughs> he, uh, he used to go to cocktail parties, and when people would ask him if you've been here, if you've been there, he would be careful never to say where he's been. I thought maybe it John Dude Yeah. Just, <laughs> I don't even. That's a good question. I don't think Byron even had a pen name, did he? he, he everything that everything that he published or everything that he wrote was under Byron Price. Yeah. Hmm, I don't yeah. know. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, you answered one question about the sundial because the years pass and rains fall. I thought maybe some of the sundials were going to put the mark the years passage. Was there ever any kind of rain gauge, anything like that? Or? Rain no, rain. no, no rain gauge at the time. No, it would have been too, you know, I'd, we probably experimented with it uh, back in the 50s. I'd say we, it would have been my dad and my grandfather. Um, and then sometime maybe in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, but it would have, it would have been short, so short-lived that it was here today and gone tomorrow. You know, just, that was it. There used to be a compass, um, a sundial rather, and the sundial said, grow old with me, the best is yet to be. And some people, including myself, think that that refers to years past. And right near it was a fountain with, with, that used to be two kids with an umbrella, and the fountain looks like rain falling on the umbrella, so that could be years past rainfall. George had the idea, because George used to live here, that uh, years past is the, um, the stickers that they would put on the telephone poles. Yeah, little metal inspection tags. Yes. And uh, it w that could be the years passing, the, 
they the passed ins inspection. The inspection tags, what they were, were they looked like little footballs, right? Mm -hmm. And they would have uh, the year that a telephone pole was inspected, and then it would have whether or not it passed or it failed. And you would never see the ones that failed because they would replace the pole. But they were little football-shaped tags that they nailed into the phone booth, and it just said the, le the year that it was inspected, and then it would pass. And they would be they would cover the telephone poles because they would right. never remove them. Yeah. So it's it would be literally years past. I do want to say one thing about the fountain that, that you're talking about, and it's really good. I have to tell you that the original fountain with the boy and girl with the umbrella was right pretty much where you're sitting. It literally was right underneath you. This was this was added in the year 2013. And uh, the reason it, that we did this, of course, is to have a have a place to for the Fountain Youth 500th celebration. And um, it was dug up. There's nothing that was underneath it, but there were, you know the general area was dug up, and then it was filled to raise it up. But it, it was here. It was here a lot for a long time. And then at some point in time, again, I don't, I don't know if it's the 80s or the 70s, the, the fountain was taken from here down to the oldest wooden schoolhouse and was placed in front of the oldest wooden schoolhouse. It's still out there, isn't it? Or it's what's, moved what, around, but it's What's close. left of it, man? I'm telling you, you know, folks go up there with a baseball bat. I don't know what, if they think they're, they're feeling threatened and uh, they just beat the hell out of it and yeah, things fly off of it and not so good. But anyway, it's, uh, it's, it, it was a great, you know, it's a real iconic statue. But you're right. Did you sell yearly passes to the Fountain of Youth in 1981? No. No, we sure didn't. No, <laughs> no, no. And the fountain that is just walked by with the sundial where it was, did the fountain kind of trickle down like it does now where there's multiple holes and it kind of drops like rainfall? The well, original? I'll tell you something, when you walked out of the globe, it, you know, you would smell, you get this initial incredible sulfur smell and you would hear what sounded like rain it, and it was the spot, it was the spot and the water came out through the top and it trickled down on this ivy-like uh, plant I don't know, I really don't know what it was because, frankly, I was, you know, I was 18 years old and didn't care. But, but it made a hell of a lot of rain water, rain sound, and you could stand there and you close your eyes and it really did sound like rain. And it was right there. It was literally right there between the sundial and, and the, uh, the fountain behind, which again was, was larger and there was dirt around the outside of it. Vines grew up and that's where they got their sustenance to, to grow and be bushy, you know, cause people like me to have to go cut them from time to time. And for the podcast audience that isn't here, um, gets didn't hear the question before that, it was whether or not uh, annual passes were sold to oh, the park. Yeah, um, and John verified that they were not. Uh, no. yeah, so we should repeat the question. Yeah, we'll do yeah, that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I have a question for you. When you found yours, your, uh, your treasure in Cleveland, yes. uh, how long from when you started really getting into it to when you found it? How long was that span of time? Mm. And then also, how, how, how hard was it or how easy was it after you found it where you're like, oh my God, like, like we all probably think when, we, <laughs> when they found Boston and stuff, stuff like that, how easy it seems after the fact. Every single one of them, kind of, you know what I mean? Right, well, uh, the question was, uh, how long ha had I been working on it before mm. I found the treasure in Cleveland? Um, I bought the book in 1982 when it first came out. Uh, in Philadelphia and um, I didn't find the treasure until 2004 so <laughs> so and once I fit, once we were there my friend Andy came with me and uh, and Andy had only been hadn't been working on it at all but I had shown him all the clues and everything and I convinced him to come with me 
and uh, we went to Cleveland and everything fell into place when we got there. Oh, this is it. These are the seven steps up. You can hop. You know, everything that was in the verse and in the picture, it all matched. And uh, it wasn't easy, though, to find it. And it took Andy to, because one of the instructions in the Cleveland verse is uh, 10 stones from right to left. And so standing at the back of the wall, looking at the wall, if you go right to left, that's where we dug. And I was digging for five hours and couldn't find it. And I just was exhausted. I sat down and I just said to Andy, it's not here. And Andy picks up a probe, walks to the other side of the, wall, of the planter, and in five seconds, he hits plexiglass. <laughs> and we still don't know why it said right to left, maybe if you're on the other side of the wall, but uh, sometimes it's, you need a little bit of luck to find the treasure. Or a new set of eyes. Yes, a new set of eyes, yeah. right? How long between, um, how long of a period of time, when did you first figure out it was in Cleveland? Like how long was it before, when you figured out it was in Cleveland until you dug? It, it was in 2004, thanks to the internet, you know, you could start doing searching and stuff like that. And uh, one, of the ver one of the lines of the verse for Cleveland was Socrates Pindar Apelles, the three names. And uh, I had Googled those names, I've, I had Googled them for, for many, many months and found nothing, and then one day, someone else on the bulletin board site that we were on actually found something, a new website had gone up by the Cleveland Memory Organization where they just decided to type in on their website all the names that were on the Cleveland wall. And so that's how Socrates Pindar Pelles came up and you just click on that and you click on a picture and there is the image right there. The, the image that I had looked at for 22 years that I had burned in my mind was suddenly there on my computer. And that's when I ran to Andy and said, you're coming with me. <laughs> can, you, can you talk about the process from that point when uh, you, you reached out to the parks um, and you told them what you found um, and getting the permission and going up there? Can you talk about that? Oh, yeah, sure. Well, I, yeah, I, we had to get permission to dig because you know, I'm not one of those people that jump fences or anything like that without permission. So uh, I contacted, it took a while to figure out who was in charge of the garden. And it was, uh, I believe, the Hellenic Preservation Society. And uh, so we contacted them. I had to send them the pictures. I had to convince them about this whole thing. And they loved the idea. And they said, sure, come on down. And uh, so Andy and I went to, to Cleveland and they actually, they brought shovels with them and they helped us and uh, it, it was just great. And the video we posted yesterday, they looked like they were actually excited about it. Yes, were, yeah. yeah. So it was great. And, and after, the, after we found the treasure, I made a donation to the Hellenic Preservation Society for all their help. Here, hop over here, do this, do that, which it seems like other ones do. 
Right. So the, in my mind, I'm telling myself maybe this was his first one, his first chapter, his first. So maybe they've changed over, you know, once he went through 12 of them. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't know what you think when you read it compared to the others. Okay. Well, the question was, is uh, what do I think of this verse, meaning St. Augustine, as compared to the others? Because it doesn't have steps or, yes. or anything like that. And uh, as John was saying before, uh, the word cask comes from this, from the Fountain of Youth. And cask is actually the name of a, a helmet, a Spanish helmet is called a cask. But the way that it was written on the sign here, it makes it sound like it's a container. And I think that's where Byron Price actually misconstrued what a cask was, and he used that. And I do think this was probably the first one he did. And, the, and the, I think Cleveland, ironically, was the last one because he needed John Palancar's help for suggestions as to where to dig. So I think they were just trying to figure out because how they, uh, this whole thing is about immigration and different uh, areas of Europe and the world would come to our, the different towns. And this was the Spanish, supposedly the Spanish people came here to, uh, to the St. Augustine, and that makes sense because of Ponce de Leon, and so the secret has the Spanish theme with that picture, and uh, the Greek theme is the one that goes to Cleveland, and that was probably the toughest one because Greeks really didn't settle in Cleveland, so they had to figure out, it was like the last thing, and they had to try and figure out what could we use that's Greek in Cleveland. And so that's where they picked the Greek cultural gardens, in my opinion. See, I so, think it's everywhere. I mean, I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead. But when you, like, you had to go through different parts of town to get to where you, where you were. What do you mean, different like parts of reading, town? Well, like, here it could, we could start at Anastasia at the quarry, and then it could lead us to here, and then it could lead us to the zero mile marker at the visitor center. You know, well, the entirety of the Cleveland verse happened within. 100 feet of the end. Really? It started about 100 feet from the end, right? Yes. Yeah, well, some people think it's, everybody interprets it differently, you know? Yeah. A lot of people think beneath two countries refers to a tunnel that is farther away, like a yeah. mile away. But it's on the same road. Right, so. right. And so some people have the prescribed to the theory that he takes you on a tour of the town exactly. and then comes to the dig site. Other people, you know, who knows, but I can tell you out of the three treasures that were found, none of us went on a tour. We, okay. just, we just basically came to the thing because we saw everything <laughs> fell into place. Okay. So it could be that he's taking you on a tour, but you don't need that in my opinion, to do yeah, it. I fall into the category, and I haven't found one, obviously, so this is just my thoughts. Um, I fall into the category that uh, Cleveland, uh, Boston, um, that they're spot uh, puzzles. They're not travel puzzles. Um, so everything is within that one spot. Uh, the, the, the painting, the image, gets you to the city. Um, you have you know, the water tower in Chicago. You have the um, terminal tower in Cleveland. 
Um, so those are just confirmers to let us know, okay, this is the town that it's in. Uh, but when you go into the verse, the verse tells you seek the columns for your search. Okay, well, that's our image matcher, right? We have the columns uh, matching in the image. And then it tells you just specific instructions. Once you find that spot, this is what you need to do. And it was really fun to watch that video. <laughs> um, we do have an online question for uh, John, um, and I'm not familiar with this, but um, Arian, uh, sorry if I said your name incorrectly, Arian Williams asked, um, what is the significance of the alligator skulls on the tree bases? What do they mean? How long have they been there? And is there a history with their distinct placements within uh, the park as a whole? Well, that's a good question. Uh, they are a very recent, recent occurrence. Uh, we started about seven years ago with, a, with one Native American who was a uh, Cree Indian, and he uh, came in, um, he did a great job, he passed away, he had one uh, chicky hut, that was it. We got so many letters and, we're, and, you know, and he had so many condolences that we decided to do it again. And so we invited uh, members of the Cherokee Nations to come in. And they expanded, and as they expanded, we expanded. And we now have another gentleman who works uh, very closely with a number of uh, Native American tribes, including the Seminoles, probably the closest one to us, and uh, elements of the, um, uh, of the Cherokees. And they do pretty much what they want over there. And it's been within, you know, we, we don't try to micromanage what it is that they do. They have their own presentations. We just ask that they, um, that they stay as close to what we do know about the uh, Tamuqua. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what they do. So when you ask a question about the, the skulls, uh, I can tell you that they were not there seven years ago. Uh, they were definitely were not there in 1981. They're, insofar as their significance is concerned, I honestly have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I know they ate alligators, so you got a lot of alligator bones after you get through eating. And uh, that's, uh, that could be a, a part of it. It could be part of their of, of a religious ritual. I, I really don't know. I don't know. And I do not know why they're there, except that it's uh, part of what they, they would have gained, the game that they would have caught and eaten. Thank you. Is that the answer? Okay. Yeah, oh, I hope so. That's your question. Okay. The question for Brian, when you showed us the cast in the broken key, there was an alligator in the in the key. Did you ever check the pieces of the rest of the cast to see if there was metal in it? The question was, is, uh, is there metal in any part of the cask? Because uh, my key had what looks like an Allen wrench in it. And no, there's no metal in any part of the cask except there's a mermaid, I believe, on top of the cask, and she has like two little metal antennas sticking out. So. No, I was just looking at the, the hundreds of little pieces that I have. So there's nothing sticking out that's metal. Yeah. But the metal that is in the cask, it's very, very small. It's oh, a tiny. Like a 50 yeah, it's. And, and the weird thing is, the weird thing is that my uh, the lid of my cask uh, doesn't have anything in it other than it's ceramic. But the one in Boston that was found apparently has burlap in it supporting it. Um, if you've seen a picture of that one, so that's very strange that his was made with burlap and the Cleveland one wasn't. A different person obviously made the cask. To expand on that, um, so if you look in the front cover um, in the thank yous of your book, um, you'll see some, uh, a thank you to a specific name for um, 
the, the owner of the company that uh, made the replicas of the cast. So the original cast was made by artist Joellen, and then they hired a company to make replicas of that. Um, and we did a little research on that company, and we found that uh, that's exactly what they did to reinforce them. They put burlap in, in other structures that they made. For instance, they did figures for an Easter egg hunt. And we found an article where they wrote, um, it's reinforced with burlap so that the kids can climb all over it and they won't break. Um, so we know that that was a known technique. What we don't know is why is one different than the other? Um, so that, that's still a question to be determined. I asked a couple of artists and, and what they came up with was the casks are, are really strange. Um, they, were, they were poured, the ceramics poured in a strange way, they were fired in a strange way, and they were carved in a strange way. And those three strange ways caused them to have tiny air bubbles in the surface and then on the inside, like the, where the cask is, is poured, it had air bubbles. If you fire something like that with air bubbles in it, it's going to crack. Um, so it's likely what happened was they made some without any metal in them, and they made a couple of them, and then one cracked. And they were like, oh, this doesn't work, so we need to reinforce it with something. So they threw some metal in it, and they made a couple more until one cracked. And they realized it didn't work, so they tried maybe burlap. It, it seemed, but because there's, there's not just 12 of these made. We know there's, uh, just about everybody that worked on the book has one. Uh, Byron had two, I think, one or two. Anyway, so there's a lot of these casks, right? And, and there would be a long process between making number one and making number 20 or whatever. Um, so that's likely why there are variances. They just, they found problems along the production line and tried to fix them in the next set. Does Rob have a burlap? Rob's doesn't, we don't, we don't know. know. His is still a one piece. Yeah, Rob's is a broken. We know he has metal in his, in the antenna. The same right. as yours. That's right. about it. Right. Yes. Yes. Okay, John, this question's for you. The canoe out there. Mm -hmm. Can you mention that? How long is that? The, the canoe? The canoe. The, you're talking about the one way in the back? That's new, right? You yes. Just, guys just built that? Yes, brand new. That that was built uh, by the St. Augustine Maritime Foundation. You're talking about the big chalupa? Oh, well, there, actually, there were. There were, there were two that were, um, um, that had been carved out. One was in the the Native American burial, burial ground, the one that I was standing in front of that had uh, been blown down, you know, essentially been damaged by Hurricane Irma. Um, the other uh, dugout Cypress Canoe was on the grounds on the other side of the rebuilt mission. So on the other side of the mission, on, on the pathway, uh, there was one there for 20, 25 years. Um, no, and the reason the reason those two areas haven't been dug is the one was was in the burial ground, and that's just something that's just completely off limits because it hasn't been dug, and and the except by archaeologists, and then the other one would have been pretty much right where the original mission church, the first mission church, uh, is. It has not been archaeologically excavated. It's just really hard for me to imagine. I, I think that the canoe could be part of it. I have a friend of mine that believes that, that, that a, a boat of some kind is we part of the salt. Of yeah, that's, that's yeah. It's funny you say that because that's yeah. I didn't know if anybody went there. Yeah, that's base of a tall tree. That's that's it. But but as to whether or not, yeah. Well, he anyway he, he looked at it. and That was the first thing that popped into his to his mind, and that's where the that's where the canoes were uh, there on the uh, in a really very very sensitive archaeological area. And I haven't looked. Oh yeah. Sensitive area. 
without question, because because the burial grounds were open at the time, and you could literally walk in and you could see 100 fully, um, you know, uh, uncovered Native American burials right there, and then and then on the back wall you just see the black and white photographs of how the digs would have looked in 1960. I'm sorry, 1934 when it was begun. So, yeah, that's yeah. I know no no one's actually done it over there. No. Mr. Zinn, for you, Brian. Sorry. Um, your cask had one of the 12 creatures painted on it. Have yes. Have you personally been able to make any connection to a fairy in the book to your painted well, uh, the, the, character? Okay, the question was uh, if there's a connection with the character that's painted on the cask. Um, my character is a centaur. So that's the Cleveland picture is the centaur standing on the arch. And uh, the Chicago one is a troll, I believe, which I guess is the, what the guy's face is, is I think that's the face of a troll. And for the Boston one, we figured out, I think, that it's possibly a leprechaun or something like that. And, you know, that's sort of like the, well, I don't know. But, <laughs> I don't know. It's, we, we can't really tell what's on the cask in Boston. So it's, to, what you're saying is you're thinking with the two found Chicago and Cleveland, they more reference the photo rather than any of the fairy folklore from the rest of the book. It's, well, it's hard to tell because centaurs are Greek. So it could be that it's both in, in my case, in okay. the Cleveland case. Speaking to uh, one community member, they uh, proposed that the Boston was uh, maybe possibly Geppetto, um, and that would tie with Italian. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah, that's, that's good. So I actually have the cast with me. We're going to put it out here, and you guys can come look at it when we're done. Just please so, touch it. Touch it. Yeah, just don't. Touch. <laughs> it's it's already broken enough. Yes. <laughs> Is there any other questions? Yes. Do you have uh, any ground right penetrating radar that just go up to the picket fence or do you go outside of the picket fence? So the question was about ground penetrating radar. Um, Expedition Unknown did basically that entire area by the planetarium. Yeah. yeah. And then when I came out with my friend who has a GPR. We did the entire, um, the entirety of the maintenance entrance, and then we did the vast majority of the parking lot area, um, yeah, and, and we also did along the along the, the along the wall. Around the steps, yes, yes, we did we did all of that. Um, Can I ever show you this? Yes, yeah, so last time. Oh, yeah, I mean, oh we, yeah, that's right. It was really cool. I know we have some other questions. Um, Oh, oh! Well, I already put it in a setting. I put it in a setting back in 2004. You could see it when you come up to look at it, but it's like a fairy, a flying fairy, holding the gemstone. It's a, it's a beautiful so. job. And the, the gemstone, the gemstone I got was a sapphire, but I was supposed to get the aquamarine. So ironically, the treasure I'm most that I'm interested in now is. St. Augustine, which is the sapphire. So, if I find it, I'll get the aquamarine. Well, there was a, I, I know there's, a, there's a, a part of the book that says once you find them, you can't find another one. Oh, is it? <laughs> <laughs> you're out, you're out. You already have the pin, buddy. All right.
Yes, sir. Um, did you ever have anyone do any tree surveys on the property? Uh, when you say tree survey, what are we, what are we talking about? The, there's the particular verse about tall trees, and I was trying to see if there's what kind of identification for tall trees, or if there was a survey done. No, there has been no, uh, the question was, was a tree survey done? And the answer is no, there, there isn't. Um, we pretty much just eyeball, just eyeball what, what's there. And unfortunately, as I've mentioned, we have had a, a number of storms. The ones that I can remember after having moved back here in 1986 from going to college, we had big ones in 1990, the Floyd. We had a couple in the uh, mid 2000s. Um, we had the Hurricane Francis was terrible. I think that was 04, 05. We had three hurricanes that, that year, but the real, the one that really just wiped out, I think, some of the real landmark, the, the mark trees is um, Matthew and Irma, which was uh, two and three years ago. Or, you know, but yeah, there were there were some old growth, big, 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 big trees. The real tall ones st still are, are still around. Uh, the entire of Magnolia Avenue, the pine tree, which is out in front of the restrooms, that was the tallest tree then, and is the tallest tree now. And um, yep, but no, no, not nothing. Um, no, no actual survey was ever done. But maintenance guys, when when trees come up here, you guys look for the cask, right? You check. Oh yeah. The, the yeah well, once we found out about it, you know, once we know, oh, there's a treasure there. Uh, we do look at it. We lost probably one of the, the two or three tallest oak trees during Hurricane Matthew. It was right there in the, the corner where you, you go in the maintenance entrance. It's between the planetarium and the globe. And boy, I'll tell you something. It kicked up a big, big, big root, big root system. And uh, it took probably half a day looking through that, just knocking the dirt off. And then, of course, the wall that it knocked out, the coquina wall, because we thought that perhaps he would have put it next to a man-made uh, structure uh, to avoid, you know, um, messing up flower gardens and that sort of thing, like he says in the book. But nothing there. Nothing there. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, the, the, um, the question is where, where was the wind rose back in 81? And to my knowledge, first of all, I do know that the wind rose that is in the planetarium and the, the walkway that, get, that takes you into the auditorium, that was definitely there and it was definitely in the exact same place as it was in 1981. Um, there were uh, compass roses in several different places. Whether they would call them wind rose, I don't know. But we had one on top of the restrooms up near Magnolia Avenue. We had another one um, out here at, around the obelisk. Uh, it was to try to make a compass rose out of the obelisk, although the, the, uh, the, the stones were quite choppy. Um, I, I, have, I had heard that it had been referred to as uh, compass rose. I didn't get it, you know, just <laughs> to take a line out of big, you know, I don't get it. But, um, but anyway, that, that one in the planetarium, it, it really fits very closely with some of the other verses. So I, that's probably what he was referring to. Yeah, it was incorporated around the obelisk. And it's yeah, not still it's not there. No, no, the uh, all the stones were picked up. Again, in, in the, the litigious society we live in, we have to be we have to try to anticipate better how people are going to fall and injure themselves. And there were there were floating slabs that were there, and some of them were, were up a little bit higher than the other. And the decision was made to pop out the stone slabs, and then uh, to to pour tabby concrete around it to where it would be smooth. And that's that's kind of what's there right now. Yep. We have another question from online. Um, they're asking, has anyone ever probed the exhibit where the well is? Do oh, where the well? I think they're asking about the fountain. Yeah, no. 
No. No, no, it has, has, has not been. That, that area there would have been one of the uh, few areas of the park that would have had security. And I'm talking about uh, electronic security going all the way back to the 70s. Um, in the 80s, I'm not sure if we brought the dogs back because we had dogs all the way out in the 50s and the 60s for security. So we would have had electronic security, we would have had dogs, the buildings would have been locked immediately between 5 and 5.30. Um, same thing with the planetarium, same thing with the globe. All three of those buildings um, and then the ticket office would have had the security on it. So I would have to say that, um, it, for, I can't imagine them going into one of those buildings, but no, no, it has not been. Yeah, I mean, like the, the spring house, I mean, some people may think the Fountain of Youth is kitschy or whatever, but that's mm -hmm. legit one of the oldest pieces of history we have in America. Confirmed pieces of history is that cross. I can't imagine Byron with his love of history wanting to damage anything around it. I can't, I, I can't either. I, I, can't, I can't imagine that, because that cross, we know for sure has been, uh, was in the newspaper 1909, St. Augustine record. Uh, we know that uh, it was referenced by Mr. Williams who had the part from, um, from 1868 until 1901, referenced by him. And then uh, an affidavit was attested to by the grandson of Mr. Arno, who claimed that the family knew of its existence in the 1700s. So you are talking about a real, real long time for that. And, and the building was pretty, you know, like I said, it, that was the thing that would have been protected along with the ticket office. So I have a question. Sure. Um, so obviously this, this sounds very personal to you. Um, and my favorite part of this entire experience are the experiences that I've had with friends and family members since I started the hunt. Yeah. Can you tell me about just your personal favorite experience, be it a dig or anything that you've had since you started? Um, it's my favorite. Those gonna be like, I met George, and that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah we, you and I had a, a really interesting first first meet. Yeah, <laughs> that was not so, ever good. So, ju so just say so John loves this hunt. Don't take a GPR out in the middle of the parking lot without asking him first, and just wandering around with it. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, not not, not so good. I, I have to tell you, I, I get proposals, uh, and I think a lot of proposals. And uh, what, what I really enjoy the most is the folks that take the most time and, and they very, very clearly spell out why they believe what they do. And, and even if I don't agree with them, again, I try to make, I try to make it happen. And, and the coolest one, there was a fellow down in, in uh, uh, Central Florida that uh, wrote me this long drawn out plan. He said it overnight. It was when I opened up the overnight envelope, and inside of it, there were the, the, the letter had a uh, had sealing wax, and he'd used a seal ring to put down on it. And, and that's what I said. I said, I said, awesome, this is incredible. So I opened it up, I looked at it, I read his proposal, I called him on the phone right then and there, and I said, dude, I, I, you gotta get, you have to get a, uh, a shot for this one. I go, I go really, where do, you, where do you want to go? And he told me where it was, and I said, okay, I, that's fine. I said, that's a little close to, to where my comfort zone. So I asked the archaeologist to come out, and she checked out the area, and she goes, no, this is all fill. You know, a lot of fill, as you can imagine, being so close to the water. And, uh, and we did. We, we, we dug it up. He was there with a couple of friends. He was in his 20s. And um, he had the time of his life, and I haven't heard from him since. But it was, uh, it was, it was, it was great. I mean, you know what I mean? That was, uh, that was, uh, that was kind of fun. But I, I will, I will just tell you that on a, on a, on a personal note, as opposed to you know something that involves someone else, you know, the one thing this puzzle does is it, it kind of sucks you in, like any, any kind of puzzle, because you don't really know where everything comes from. 
you have the group of people that believe that it's really simple. It's right there in front of you, and if you just look at it long enough, and you, you know, and you do this long enough, and you take the mirrors out and all that, it's gonna come to you. And I, I don't disagree with that at all, and maybe it does happen. But, it, but, but there's twists and turns, like the number four and the number two that you see in this puzzle, and you go, what's that? Well, you know, the cool thing about Google is you can sit there and you can put anything you want in there, and then they come up with all kinds of crazy things, because they don't know what you're looking for. Google the number 42 sometime. <laughs> and the very first thing I, that, that popped up was, was it's the answer to every question in the universe. <laughs> I said, what the heck is this? And, and, I find, and I find out, oh, Douglas Adams, Hitchhiker Guide to the Galaxy. The book's written in, in 1979, published 1980. <laughs> and I go, oh man, this guy was, he graduated from Stanford, degree in communications. This was a really popular book. I really don't get it, but uh, it's, I, mean, I really don't get it. But, but you look in here, I underline all the words and all the phrases that they use in this park, that is in this park and is in his puzzle, and they're in this book. And it, and it just happens to be 42, and, and, I, and it took me there. And <coughs> other stars and other references I've seen, it led me to, to, to get books on constellations. Uh, you notice in the puzzle, you can actually look at it and you see red dots. They're red dots in the, on the illustration. They're white dots. And, and I've sat there and I've tried to, to put them out and connect the dots and look at our planetarium show because I remember what the planetarium show was like and try to compare them with the constellations. And it really is, a, it gives you, a, a, it's a personal journey that you have. Mine takes me in a different direction. Brian takes them in a different direction. You all have different ideas and, and different theories and that sort of thing. And that's the great thing about these puzzles is that they really do take you in, in whatever direction your mind goes. Because I, I got to tell you, until I, until I read this book, I probably hadn't read a book in two years, three years, I, I guess. I, you know, I read, a lot, I read a lot of magazines, read a lot of newspapers, but the idea of reading the book cover to cover, especially fiction, I just don't, I don't have the time. But uh, I've read about 10 books uh, in the last three, four years, and it's all because of this guy. You know, and, 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 so thank you, Byron, Byron and, uh, you know, but um, it's, a, it's a lot. But you meet a lot of people, and, and it's, it's really... Uh, it, it's, it's really gratifying to hear, you know, especially, again, the ones that play by the rules and the ones that had the really serious theories and families that come in. Some groups, even here today, there have been families that have come in that have, have dug. I always worry about the kids and all that, but good parents, and it's kind of neat to see them all doing something together. I think he would have liked that. Yeah, I, th I think John is probably <coughs> the, the best of all the remaining guardians, of all the remaining treasures because he's really into it. And, uh, you know, he let me dig when I came here. He let uh, Kim and Nadine dig before me. And uh, I actually had to come. I, when I came back, he let me dig a second time, but I needed a GPR and a, and a TV show with me. <laughs> but he was really into it. And it's great that he lets families and friends come here because that's, that's what this hunt is about, you know. It would be a shame if they were all found, wouldn't it? Because then you'd, have, you'd, yeah. you'd, you'd move on, right? So I, <laughs> I hope that they're not all found. I mean, I hope that everybody in this room finds one, but at the same time, I hope that they're not all found. Brian's like, I hope I'm the first one to find two. <laughs> Oh, the question was, is the folder I've been carrying around, what, what was in that? Yeah, it's about one or two inches thick of just my St. Augustine research. 
So. <laughs> it's more than what I have. Well, my grandfather vacationed. The question was, um, how did the property come into my family originally? And uh, my grandfather and my, uh, was born in Flowery Branch, Georgia. Was living in Albany, Georgia, um, with uh, my grandma. And uh, he used to, to work between here and there. It was a timber cruiser. They just go and they'd measure the amount of board feet of pine or whatever, oak and cherry. And um, it, his travels took him to St. Augustine, and he loved it here. He was um, educated at Emory University, and he saw the value of history. He loved history, and he didn't think that St. Augustine was doing enough with what it was that they had. And so uh, when the lady uh, who owned it, uh, Lowell T. McConnell, passed away in a car crash, he immediately came in and said, I, I have to have it. So he purchased it from the husband who uh, didn't like the bugs and didn't like the heat and didn't like the people and, and just said, I, 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 I don't, just let me out. So he sold it to my grandfather for, um, I, I think, a song at the time, but uh, it was 1927. And then, um, you know, he continued to run it. Uh, until he had a, a stroke in 1960, and then my father took over, and then the banks, of course, as I was telling you before, had uh, had taken over. But the um, the real testimony went into my grandfather, and I know this is not what you're asking, but I just want to tell you that in 1930 there was something called the Depression, and um, the idea <laughs> the idea that my grandfather kept this place um, through uh, 10 years of just uh, very very hard economic uh, conditions and was able to save it and to be able to thrive after the war, 19, 1940s, keep it through the 50s. Um, and all the shenanigans with the banks, and it's just really, it's really, it's cool. And, yeah, that was great. Uh, I appreciate you uh, asking. <laughs> question was is what clues are in the painting and this is just our opinion I answer this question all the time you guys can okay well I'll, I'll move it to you well thanks to someone named Fox on the Q for T website we figured out that latitudes and longitudes are in the painting so you see, this isn't going to be on camera, but uh, this, in my opinion, this right here and this is the number 30 upside down. See? And uh, there's also an 8 and a 2. See the 8 and the 2? And 3082 is the latitude and longitude of St. Augustine. There are other things too. So, uh, the plant possibly looks like the pathway that's out by the monument. Mm -hmm. uh, a million people find a million different things that are hidden in this. Uh, I see a cannon. There's a cannon that goes this way. This is the end of the cannon. This is the wheel of the cannon. Uh, I think there's also a post right here. And there's, and it looks just like the post that's in the corner that I dug in. Um, let's see, we've got, uh, this down here is possibly an overhead view of the island. I, I don't know what it's called. Yeah, the Sagittarius. 
Anastasia Island. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you look at a map, you'll see that this matches that. There's just so many things. Uh, this is this is a Spanish helmet, and that's the cask, right? Um, and this is Ponce de Leon, possibly. His vest, if you look very closely, it looks just like the colors on that's in the uh, uh, the actual Fountain of Youth spring mm -hmm. hats. It's also the colors of the Puerto Rican flag, the green and the gold. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Every uh, every painting has a clock or a number associated with it. There's no clock in this, but there are nine flowers, and there are asters. And aster is the uh, flower for September, which is the ninth month. And there are nine flowers. So um, I can't think of other things. There's a, some people think this is the monument that's out there. There's an overhead view of the monument, and that possibly it's covering up the castle that's the Castillo de San Marcos. So, um, and you know, there are lot, there could be lots of other things hidden here. Uh, this could be the Globe Theater or over here. Uh, there's something called, I think it's called Paradolia. Paradolia, yeah. which is the tendency for humans to just see anything and just see patterns and things. Yeah. And uh, that's from our hunter-gatherer days. That allows us to survive, but we still have that today. Well, John, yeah. you've been here since you were a child. What do you see in the painting? Do you see anything that, that we don't, you know, that, that you haven't heard anyone talk about? What, what, what jumps out to you? Well, the, the, the two and the four, or the four and the two jump out, um, yeah. out to me. I do see what Brian sees with regard to the latitude and the longitude. Um, I also see, and over here, the, uh, just a couple of small things. Uh, this particular area here, if you take a really good, a close look at the uh, uh, Chief Arriba, Chief, Chief Saloy, I believe is referenced over there. Um, it looks an awful lot like, uh, it looks like a lot Chief's face. Can't explain the stones uh, at all here. There, there's an interesting thing here. I don't really understand. It. This uh, could be a bird. I'm not real sure what this is, but it appears that there's a key hanging from the top of whatever this is. And you can actually see the key. You can see the key on the end of the chain. Um, this here uh, reminds me an awful lot of the of the burials, uh, the burial grounds, and about how the concrete came around. There are no bones on the inside, so it's, it's hard to say, but, but I look at that. I look at this as a big Tina honey, you know, one of the large, one that we have, we have all over the grounds. And, uh, and, and that's what I see. And uh, of course, right now on that cask, interestingly enough, if you look closely, uh, you can see what would be a reflection of the stone. So you have the stone here, and you also have the stone up at the top. And I, I don't know to what, ex you know to what extent that is. If you look like you're supposed to look at it this way, the way that he's looking, and incidentally, if you look in the, at the uh, spring house, this right here, right down to the elbow being bent, the head looking down, it, this is the exact same way the statue is in the diorama. Uh, I've had some interesting theories on the brown and the blue. This represented islands. Uh, they're, again, very interesting, very interesting, I think, 
down here, this is the stone I was telling you about. What I see here is if you were to go on the water side of the, the Fort St. John of the Pines, which is right out there, and you stood off to the side where you're looking at the stone this way, and to get down, you would actually see, or would have an 81, you would have seen this palm tree. And this, this is the only palm tree in that cluster of three trees that has been blown down by a hurricane. So it got blown down by a hurricane, and that tree's not there, but it's between the other two. But you would have seen that, and, and it's far enough away that, that there would be no reflection. However, from the water, you have the reflection of the stone, because the water at high tide used to come almost up to the stone. So I see, you know, I see all that. There's, you know, I'm just like you guys. I see fly, uh, gators in there. You could, you know, uh, you know, there, there have been times that I thought that, that, that the fountain, this little, uh, this section here, is, is that uh, uh, hourglass fountain out there in front of the planetarium. I don't know, you know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, this is an interesting view of a picket fence where you did it. You took a picture on an annual. This would be a larger picket. Um, we left out one of the most important parts is the, the face on the mountain there is actually an overhead view of the park. The, the right-hand side of the face is actually, Saint, is actually the Fountain of Youth Park, if you look at a map. The archaeological map that you used to have, it's almost perfect. Okay, I'm going to use, I guess, in the 64. Yeah, the one that we have a picture of is the 97. Yeah, I think so. So the uh, so John Jude Palancar, he's a great artist. He made it look like somebody's face looking up to the sky, but it's actually an overhead view of the park. It's a little bit different today because of the uh, you know the, the bulkhead. Yeah, bulkhead. Uh, that, was, that was different. Do you think every painting John uh, has a has a location, you know how like Boston had the home plate, right? And then Chicago had the three post fins, right? Yep. And then, uh, yeah, I gotta tell you, and it's, it, it, I'm glad you asked that question, but I'm kind of a one trick pony when it comes to this thing. <laughs> this, this is the guy, and this is the guy, you gotta talk about that. This right here, I see things in this that, that maybe y'all wouldn't see. I, I mean, I, I really do. I, I can twist it, and I can see magnolia flowers, I can see a magnolia nut. I've used it. Um, you know, I grew up with it where the white album, and Paul is dead, you know, you turn, turn the album backwards on your photograph and it says, ah, and, and you know, I believe, you know, the guy probably has half magnolia nuts in there, and there's probably something else, and you just have to get with the, uh, the mirror just right to kind of create exactly what you're looking at, this little message there. I found one. And well, the reason why I ask you is because this is, this is your second home, if not your yep. first home. Yep. You see things that these guys or all of us don't see. Yeah. Well, it, well it, the, the, the interesting thing to me is that I, I see a lot of these fountain views, things that we have here at the park. And when, when folks come in and they say absolutely positively, it's definitely not here in the park. I look at it and I go, I don't know if, if that's a stone, that's where it represents, it, and the, this illustration represents where it's buried. And to me, it has to be here at this park. Right. To me, it has to be. But, you know, uh, is it buried in a flower bed? They say they're going to put it in a flower bed. But you, yours was not in a flower bed, right? I mean, kind of. Kind of. Kind of. <laughs> You're about to start a, a, an argument. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing is that uh, it's hard to believe that Byron Price would bury something on private property, mm -hmm. but 
you know, sort of like me and probably a lot of you, you didn't know that this was privately owned. The Fountain of Youth is privately owned. You'd think it's a public park, and maybe he thought it was a public park. Well, Boston so, kind of messed that up for me, too. I didn't think he buried a ball field. Like, why would you disrespect the ball field? Same as why would you disrespect private property? So right. there's a lot of things that we've assumed Byron wouldn't do that Boston shows us he, he'd do it. Well, and again, I, I don't know if, you know how much you all that of the tour that you heard, but I, I promise you this, if you had met my father, if anybody in this room had ever met my dad, you would have either really liked him or you would have really not liked him, and it would have been reciprocal. And so if, if this guy either loved this they, they got along just swimmingly well, and they answered all the questions and saw the passion that my dad had for history and preservation and all that. And he said, this is where I'm going to put it, and I'm going to put it someplace where it's really hard to find because I wanted to stay here a long time. Or, you really didn't like the guy. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to confuse everybody. I put all these things here, and I'm going to bury it somewhere else. So to me, it's one or the other. It's either not a question there, or there has to be some kind of an exit strategy that says, Hey, yeah, okay, St. Augustine, and yeah, we got a lot of the same things here that are part of the, you know, the town youth park, but it's really somewhere else, like maybe at the base of the cross, you know, the tall tree, I don't know. Do you want to ask So I'm very, very good at this, but I just want to point out that when I look at this, I'm very data-centric I see that stuff at the top as being very, um, obviously a whole lot of clues, but my focal point comes down to those flowers at the bottom. And I haven't heard you guys talk too much other than saying it represents maybe September, but I see that as being part of probably the solution for some reason. And I don't know why, but that's where my mind is focusing. Okay. Because all the other stuff is like the piece of the puzzle, but the story is being told down below. I agree with him. Okay. Because okay. I, I see the big picture of Laura, and then I see it narrowing further, first line, and the first chapter written in water, you know. The water that would have come across the, the ocean, they would have seen this. Okay, this is part of our flag, or maybe it's our mind, I don't know, the palm trees. And then I just think it just goes there, there. That has to mean something. The placement of that there instead of there has to mean something. And I don't know what that means. Because, and, and this guy has a, a, an advantage, he's actually found one. And, and all of these folks have studied multiple puzzles. That's why I say, I'm not your guy. <laughs> I don't want to get involved in the Charleston puzzle or the Roanoke puzzle or any other puzzle for that. So the, this is a lot of fun because it's here in my backyard, and, but there's just so many other things I, I, I've got that I, I do. The question was pointing out the flowers. Um, some people have actually seen the word St. Augustine written in the stems of the flowers, and I've actually seen it myself. It's, uh, it's not too much of a stretch, but it's hard, it's difficult to see. Yeah, it's up to you. You go ahead. You're it's your show. <laughs> uh, you um, so you guys are all very obviously committed to the idea of the treasure being in the foundation. Obviously, not going to say it's not. But how much support would you maybe give to someone who had an alternative theory that it was somewhere else? Support. That's my question. Yeah. Okay. So say what the question is. The, the yeah. question is, uh, most of us up here think that most of us up here think that this is in the fountain of youth. Not all of us think it's in the fountain of youth. I don't. I'm 
right? So how much support would I give to somebody that had an alternate theory? A lot. Um, every, everybody so far has pointed at this painting, and you know, these are clues for whatever. I'm like, just take it, and once you know this is in Florida, you can throw this away. Like that gets you latitude and longitude coordinates, and it gets you a state, and then you don't need this anymore. Um, the verse fits really well in the Fountain of Youth, but a lot of the things that, that fit here fit in a lot of other places in St. Augustine. Like shell limestone, mm -hmm. we got that everywhere. Yeah, true. You know? Um, bending branches, they're everywhere. So if you can if you can give me a solution that logically puts you somewhere other than here, I'm right there with you. Um, so far, most of the evidence seems to point to here, but I, I would wholeheartedly welcome anybody to come up with alternate ideas. Hey Brian, since you're involved with the Boston Farm, Now that Byron's passed away, really you can say that the original solution is not up to like because it's thought that he's the only one that would ultimately know where it is. I, I have think that's not true, but we'll go with it just for the sake of the same. Was the cast the only thing that was that allowed the Boston claim to be taken? Now, it, it, was there any time that the verse and he saw that the picture in the verse was that a factor in rewarding? So the question was, is if you don't have a cask, uh, would you still be awarded a gem if you had something which looked like a solution? No, no, I'm, I'm saying oh, specifically, oh, specifically Boston. No, that, that was not, the fact that he had a possible solution had nothing to do with the reward. They had to find the cask. Um, you don't I don't think you'd necessarily have to find the key, but it was sort of con further confirmation that it was a cask. Because you can find pieces of ceramic and plexiglass, but it might not be the cask. And we have Mr. Ward here, who has twice found ceramic and plexiglass in two different places in the country. And we're still not exactly sure if he found the cask. Yeah, so he's not, he's not taking credit, to his credit, but uh, I can tell here, you. If you were up here earlier, you would have seen me and Brian with a bunch of pieces of junk ceramic going, does it match your cask? Yeah. Is this the same size? So it's very close. So he may have found the New Orleans one. He may have found the, Char the Charleston one, but we're not sure. Yeah, and I, I, I will never say you, 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 this is probably the first time anybody's ever heard that because I don't like to say it. There's no key. They're still out there. Go look. Yeah, so. Go find the key. For all of the places that were the, you three, the other three were found, there was all public. You didn't have to pay to get into? No. Yes. No. It, every, all the places were public that, that were found, the three that were found. Right. Did you have to pay to get into the children's zoo in Houston, Brian? Do you know? Oh, uh, that I don't know. I don't know so, the answer to that. So the Houston one, we're, we're pretty sure it was in the children's zoo, and I'm not sure if you had to pay to get into that or not. It, it's my understanding you had to go into the normal zoo to access the children's zoo. So you would have had to have paid? So you would have had to pay. So Unless you went in through the back, which is what they were talking about when, we, when the original podcast was done for Houston. It was apparently very easy to access that area. Mm -hmm. Easy to access this area, too, back then. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, when you were in 
I'm sure that there was a lot of other conversations that happened that weren't aired on Expedition of <laughs> Was there anything that came to light that you could share with us that maybe didn't make the cut? Uh, the question was, is when, uh, when I was filming in New York on the last epi episode of Expedition Unknown, uh, were there conversations that didn't make the airway? Well, I mean, we were there all day, so yes. Um, John Palancar was great at telling very funny stories. Um, one thing that I don't think aired is that the uh, in the Boston painting, we were wondering why the bubble next to the bird was there, and he said that was the Boston Pops. The Boston Pops. The, uh, yes, it's the, the bird trying to pop the bubble. So, <laughs> there were other things too, but I thought that was an amusing one that I remember. No, he didn't talk about St. Augustine at all, no. In, in fact, he won't, he won't talk about cities. He will not. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, when Boston came out, we desperately wanted to get it, um, we desperately wanted to get it um, authenticated, right? Because we didn't necessarily know what was going on in the, uh, on Expedition Unknown's side, but we wanted at least the community to know one had been found. So we reached out to a couple of people. We reached out to Joellen Trilling, who told us um, she couldn't comment. And we reached out to John Palancar, who said, I don't think there's one in Boston. So there you go. Anything that you hear from the creators of the, like the creators of the hunt really liked Byron. And they're gonna, they'll, they'll give you misinformation. Like if you, if you try to reach out to them, they'll give you misinformation. They'll give you just outright wrong information. They'll lie <coughs> about it. They will not help. So it, it, it doesn't surprise me that he really didn't say anything. Right. I want to thank you first for setting up the 12th Treasures website. So, so the question is whether or not we're going to make, a, basically, whether or not we're going to make a map of dig spots. Um, we're going to try. What, the problem is you can't trust people, you know? Well, like, here you can control. So well, yeah, here, yeah. here we, could, we, could lo we could make a, a map of the Fountain of Youth and log everywhere that's been done. Absolutely. Yeah, we could do it legally anyway. <laughs> I was also going to make a suggestion is that when you have those data points, you can just have verified and unverified flags on them, too. Yeah. So those yeah. Are mm -hmm. the, the other part you were talking about, I think, on the podcast, is you were going to vary some cash to do some GPR tests. Yes. Because we don't, he, he talked about them being previously GPR. So my, I guess part of the question is, is are you still going to do that? The other part is, is if it's already been GPR, are you still honoring requests that are previously GPR spots that haven't been done? Uh, if they're close to, if, you know, you can't, you can get the GPR pretty close, but you can't get it right up against something. So if somebody wanted to dig uh, in a particular area at the base of, a, say, an old um, magnolia tree stump uh, next to the, the wall on Magnolia Avenue, if they really wanted to do that, I would probably allow it. 
you know, I'd say, yeah, yep, that's you, you're specific, you got a nice, you got a good spot, your theory, whatever your theory is, if, it, if, it, if I can make sense of why it is you believe what you do, and, and you know, I won't try to change your mind, you know, I'll, I'll do what I can to facilitate digging in that particular spot, even though there was a GPR very, very close to it. You know, we're talking about a, a box about like that, so, you know, there's, there's a chance that you wouldn't have gotten it, even in tree roots. You know, we got real close to those tree roots, I mean, really close to it. But again, really hard to, to get to the bottom of everything. Well, how many spots do we have there? The one day that we did the entire area between the planetarium and the green picket fence. Yeah. I mean, we must, we must have had, what, 20 flags? Yeah, we put... We, we had the Georgia's beta test, the GPR, the GPR readouts made it effective because you're going you're gonna to inflow the docks, you're going to fill up water, fill up with dirt, so you're going to have a different GPR signal. So that's yeah, already true. Done. That's yeah, already but we had, we had GPR experts that were telling us plant a flag wherever there's a possible cask. Mm -hmm. And there were like, like John said, so many of them, there were like 20 of them. Yep. People, people are really putting their faith in GPRs when they shouldn't. Um, if, if a crack, like look, this, this box, if there's a crack in this box and mud gets into it, you're essentially looking for packed dirt around something made out of packed dirt, right? The GPR is not going to see it very well. So, while we wish GPRs were like a miracle cure for this hunt, they're just not. Yeah, they're not. Yeah. Right. It's, it's been almost 40 years that the boxes are in the ground. So I don't know if, there's gonna, if we're ever going to find one that's whole again. It will probably just be pieces. And I don't think a GPR is going to pick that up. No. You can use a handheld Magellan device. It'll uh, geolocate within 10 feet of any GPR. Okay. I didn't okay. Okay. Cool. Someone suggested a handheld Magellan. Or in another type device that would do the same thing. Okay. Wow. Okay. I didn't know that oh, existed. Oh, you're talking about for the dig spots. Basically a GPS. Okay. Handheld GPS. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then those could be um, geo references put into a GIS system and they could yeah. be reported in what Right. Yeah. Getting people to access a GIS. That, though. They can be easily relevant to anyone. Can you? Okay. And by the way, making maps of, poss of where people have dug, that might work at the Fountain of Youth, but most places are not going to verify or not verify. Like, for example, the Elizabethan Gardens yes. in Roanoke, they actually put on their website, the treasure is not here. <laughs> As if they know. <laughs> But they don't want people digging. You will be shot on site. So they're not going to let anybody dig. So. So do we have anything else? Uh, for Mr. Frazier, this isn't a question per se. Yeah. Just a extension of a thank you, I think, from all of us here for oh, still allowing us to send in songs yes, or you. theories and still giving us the opportunity to come pro or dig. Please, please be patient with us because uh, ever since the, you know, every time it's on, every time it's on Expedition Unknown, you know, they look at it and they go, oh, St. Augustine, they start looking. So we, we are getting a lot more, a lot more, and I'll do what I can to facilitate what I can and, um, and answer questions, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this is just, you know, trying to, to, to just, you know, get enough questions out there where folks know that, 
um, that there was no owl here in 1981. There was no, you know, no doc, no this, no that. Things have changed. You know, some of the landmarks. Appreciate have. every second you give. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. We're, yeah, you happy to do it. I don't think I think I think 80 years from now somebody will be looking for the last couple of them. Yeah, <laughs> and the ground changes so much too. I mean, whether it's sprinkler, you know, sprinkler lines that are that are dug, foundations of new buildings, that building, this building. I mean, there, there's so much trees that popped out, pop out, and, and go in. I mean, someone that doesn't know what I know or what all you know about it could throw it away and. and not know, I mean, not know that it was important. So, but you know, with with advanced technology, with technology, how it advances, eventually, I think that we'll have the technology where we could do X-rays of the ground, and I think that's when we'll find them all. Well, they, they can drain the ocean; they just haven't been able to empty soil. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, gotcha. I guess. Um, well, the thing you can, the thing I would recommend doing is put it in writing. Put it in writing, send a letter to the Fountain of Youth. Um, as of now, I'm reviewing all the requests, um, but admittedly, I'm at a point now where I have a tremendous number of them, and I'm taking care of them, a couple of them uh, at a week, uh, a couple of them a week, and calling people back and uh, taking care of that. But, but um, the emails, while they might be great for a lot of folks, emails are not good for us, are not good for me, because you were right in there with about 300 to 350 other folks. And admittedly, 300 of them are advertisements, as everyone knows. But uh, I have a tremendous amount of them. I don't, uh, if I go a couple of days, um, you know, you try to adjust your spam filter, and then sometimes they go into spam. Um, so the, the letter works out really well. I mean, it really does. And if you want to send it, um, not overnight, because that's a lot of money. But, you know, if you send it, you know, priority, believe me, it, it it kind of well, you know, you don't have to do that. But everybody, but everybody's got something. I mean, I, you know, I, I can tell you. I didn't want. I don't want to tell you a few of the other things. But you know, to get attention, folks have done a number of, of interesting things, and uh, and they've gotten my attention. You know, at the very least, you get a you get a phone call back real quickly. You get you get some some questions answered or you know, and the like. And so we do what we can. So it's funny. We though. have a question. So last last question. Last question. Last question. Last question. Yeah. Well, what I was yes. Thank you. Very good. So, oh. we had a, so we had an audience member make the comment that they know they were joking, but they said, uh, just come in at 3 a.m. So what's going to happen to that person that shows up at 3 a.m. to dig without permission? Well, here, here's the deal. If you show up at 3, at 3 a.m. and one of the cameras happens to catch you, then the security, they contact the police, the police show up, and the police arrest you if you're on the property. If you're here during the day, and you would be really surprised how many folks during the day, between the hours of 9 and 5, come in here with a probe down their legs, a shovel up their back, you know, uh, whatever it is, it's amazing to me. And, and they will just go to a spot and just start digging. If, they, if, if they're caught probing, they're nicely asked to go back to the car and please put the probe in the car. And then if you want to come back, you can come back. We allow them to do that. It's a mistake. Yeah, I know. They probably snuck a thing in. If we catch them, the best thing to, for us to do is just to catch them at the ticket office. If they come in and they actually start digging a hole, then we call the police immediately. Police get called. The police do come in. Uh, in rare circumstances, they don't call the police, especially if children are involved, and uh, you know, because we don't want to scare the heck out of the kids. But we really do try to make it um, good for the folks to do things the right way. 
But uh, the, the, uh, the cameras at night are an, interesting, are an interesting thing. We have had the police here. I've actually been here. And I've had some of the funniest conversations with folks that, that have jumped the fence at 10 a.m., 3 a.m. It's, it's a, it, I mean, most of them are drunk. I mean, most of them have been drinking. <laughs> and then they, they come over and they go, well, what do you want to do? I don't want to go home now. Hey, you know, we've got this treasure thing here. Let's go take a look at the fountain of youth. Oh, just, you know. You know, they come in and they fall on the ground. You know, they fall on the Spanish bayonets. They get, get cuts on their hands. And, uh, and the police are always there, and it's a lot of fun. To, uh, you know, we, he, has, he has their fun, because now everybody in the police department knows about the whole thing. And, and so, you know, they go, oh, Frazier, here we go. we got to go to the park again. Let's go. Yes, ma'am. So just uh, as far as if uh, someone's going to send you mail, do other people open your mail, or how do you ensure that you No, I, if, if you mail, that's another thing. Um, and, and I you hate to reveal all the secrets of a, of a, of a dinosaur organization like, like the one I, I have here, but uh, I, I, uh, I open every piece of mail. It doesn't matter whether it's a bill, an advertisement, a check, a, a complaint letter, I open every single piece of mail. I read every single thing that comes through here, every single letter, whether I'm on vacation or not. If, they, if I am on vacation, yeah, yes, they, they do get opened by other folks, but I get a stack of everything and a copy of everything that happens to be sent to the accountant. So anything you send to John Frazier, care of the Fountain of Youth Archaeological Park or Fountain Youth Park or Ponce de Leon Incorporated, whatever, um, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see it. I mean, unless I'm sick, good Lord willing, you know, um, I'll see it, I'll stack it, I'll respond to it. The easy ones, I'll get back like that. The difficult ones, you know, it's gonna again. It's gonna take a while because I, I do have a stack of I got a stack in my office right now that uh, that are amazing. But I'm doing the best I can with that. And uh, I may maybe one day you get another. You'll get a call from somebody, somebody else. You know, um, you know. But right now it's me, and it's only me because no one else really knows the whole story uh, as well as I do. So anyway, that's how to, that's how to do it. I, I read all. You guys are doing this all over. You're following all twelve. That's the plan. Superman over here. Yeah, it's <laughs> Superman. You got any closing comments? Uh, no, I just want to thank everybody yes. for coming out yeah. and attending. I mean, you guys are amazing. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you to the uh, community members that are watching online and um, obviously to the ones that are going to listen to this podcast. We really appreciate your involvement. Yeah. Um, the community is what it's all about. So thank you very much. Uh, we want everybody to have an opportunity to see the cast. Um, again, just a reminder, please don't touch anything. It's, it's already broken enough. But please, if you would like to see the cast kind of file in the line on that side of the room would be awesome. And if you have not received a bag yet, a thank you bag, we're trying to do one for the group. Um, so if your group has not received one, please come and get one.
Can you hear them? No, they can't. Yeah, can you hear me? No, but they'll hear it in the podcast. They hear him. He's loud. He's loud. Okay. All right. All right. Yes, they can.